morning, Spirit of Grace. We're so happy to see you all here this morning. Good morning to all who are joining us online, YouTube, Facebook, later. Um, we're so glad you're joining us today. We pray that you are all blessed, that you draw closer to him during this time of worship and word. I just want to focus on him today. There's so much going on that can distract us. We were talking about this during prayer before service and after worship practice. There are so many things pulling at our attention that can cause anxiety and stress. We are responsible to refocus ourselves and refocus our hearts on him because he does not change. He is the same powerful God that he was before any of this started. He has always been. He is God alone. King of kings, Lord of lords. So let's focus ourselves on him during this time where we can be together and feel his presence together. He is with us always. We are never alone. But when we can gather together the body of Christ, there's something powerful and beautiful about that. So let's stand this morning and let's worship him with our whole heart, our whole minds, our whole being. And let's focus ourselves on him when those thoughts and those schedules and those worries
new to this church, I encourage you, just reach out to him this morning. All you have to do is speak his name, and he will come running. Praise God. He loves us so much. Through loss, 
in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen, amen, amen. I mentioned just a minute ago, this is the epic battle of the civil war between Israel and Judah, and really between David's son Absalom and David himself. David oversaw the kingdom of Judah, and Absalom oversaw the people of Israel, and this is the climactic battle that we're reading that's surrounding the passage that we shared with you uh, today. And uh, there's some things that I want to pull out of this passage, out of this battle, out of understanding what's going on. And I believe that it is a very timely message for the day and the age that we're living in. I wish that I could tell you that the day that we live in is easy. But you all would know that I'm lying. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, it's not designed for our comfort. We are living in an age that is an age of frustration. But what I have come to understand through my ministry and through my years of serving the Lord is that every season of frustration always is followed by a season of revelation and a season of uh, exuberation, celebration, because of the victories of God. I don't know if what we're experiencing today in society is the last thing that we're going to deal with before the trump of God sounds. I do believe that the coming of the Lord is soon, but when you really look at all of history, if I put the beginning of history on that wall and the end of history on this wall, we would be one little ink dot. Yeah, that, that's, so when we say soon, it could be soon, it could be years. I don't really know. All I know is this, that I want to be ready when the trumpet sounds. And so whether or not this is a temporary season or if this is the season to wrap up all seasons and God is getting ready to let the sound of a horn blow and call us home to glory, either way, we are living in a season that is a season of frustration. A season both politically, emotionally, mentally, physically, in all cases, we have entered a season where there's frustration on every hand. And so I wish I could tell you that this is abnormal, that this is not the way it was designed to be, that this is unprecedented, but it's really not unprecedented other than the fact that it's all happening to us right now. But this has happened through the years in certain ways, it's just the difference between now, for instance, the biggest difference between this uh, pandemic that we're dealing with and previous pandemics is the previous pandemics didn't have the internet. And so we didn't have all of the stuff that's out there and we didn't even know about it until the telegraph came or, 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 the, or the mail came and, and found out what was happening on the other side of the country. And that was usually three, four, five days later. And, and now we're finding it instantaneously and we're finding it instantaneously from all different directions. And, and, and so I, I want to share with you what I believe is really happening is that we have entered into an epic battle, a season of warfare in the spirit the Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood. We're not wrestling against people, but there is a battle going on for the spirit of man. And because of that, this battle is not between communism and democracy. It's not between socialism or capitalism. It's not between the haves or the have-nots. 
but it is between that which is right and that which is wrong, that which is good and that which is evil, that which is heaven and that which is hell. And I wish I could tell you, but I can't today, that there is no such thing as an R&R, a rest and relaxation. You can't put in a leave for a temporary leave. You can't, you can't take a vacation. This is an everyday battle. There is every day there is a trap that is being set for your soul. Every day that you wake up and leave your home, your adversary is trying to find some way to trip you up, to trick you, to overcome you. And, and dare I say that it's going to be a battle for us until Jesus comes because the enemy is on the run. The enemy is nervous. The enemy is in panic mode. The enemy knows his end. The enemy knows that he loses when the, the war and the battle is absolutely done. In all things, he knows the word of God and he knows his recourse in his and that Jesus is the winner yeah. and he is the loser. Yeah. Yeah. And so he is doing everything in his power to mess with the children of God yeah. in this day and this season. Yeah. So you're, I wish you could get out of it. I wish our kids could get out of it. I wish all of us could just take a week and just not do anything, not hear anything, but that's impossible. You see, Here's the thing I fear. One moment of complacency. One moment of not paying attention. One moment of not having an attitude of prayer and communion with God could be our downfall. It could mean between true life and death. Not physically, but spiritually. It could be that moment, that, that one little letdown, that one little sit back and recline and rest on what God has already done. Listen, I'm glad for what God has already done, but he didn't bring me this far to leave me where I'm at. He brought me this far to propel me into greater things. Jesus said it this way, and I think it's in Matthew, but he said this, greater things shall you do than I have done. The things that God is wanting to propel us into is something that is not casual laid back, but it is, it is an attention grabbing. It is involvement. It is getting in the middle of a battle. You see, they're all around us. The children of Israel in this passage was following Absalom, who was somebody that had usurped his power and authority. God did not give it to him. God did not call Absalom to be king. He called David to be king. Absalom took the reins and began to set up a false kingdom. And now we are at a at this breaking point battle, if you will, or this epic battle. And, and it's the same as we're doing. Listen, the Bible declares Satan to be the prince and the power of the air. But it says nothing about him being a king. But he has tried throughout history to elevate himself to king status. That which is above the king of kings and the lord of lords. He has tried to elevate himself, and so he has drawn a certain amount of people that have become followers of the things of him that they may not even realize it. I'm not talking about those Satan worshipers that are out and out saying that they follow Satan, but they have succumbed to the things of this world. They have succumbed to the things that, that are tricking them, and, and the, the picture that's beautiful, but behind the beautiful picture is torment and agony and heartache and heartbreak. 
And, and, and this, this, that's why the scripture tells us, endure hardship as a good soldier. That's why he said, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. That's why he said we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this world. You can't get out of here in the middle of it. Whether you realize it or not, you are in a battle for your life. Every day, every hour, there is a battle going on for you. It colors everything that we do. It touches every decision that we make. It affects every path that we decide to walk down. We cannot approach this life with a laissez-faire, undefined attitude because we are soldiers in a war. We used to sing as, a, as children in children's church, I'm in the army of the Lord. I may never soar in the enemy. I can't remember all the words now. But it's said, I am an, I'm a soldier in the army of the Lord. I have to hold up the shield of faith. I have to have on the helmet of salvation. I have to have on the breastplate of righteousness. I have to have the two-edged sword in my mouth. I need to do everything in prayer and supplication. I need to be able to be that which is prepared because this is not a temporary battle. This is a day-old battle. It goes on and on and on every hour. I don't want to depress you today because I'm going to get to the point where you're going to feel better about this battle. But right now, we're fighting. Has anybody been fighting this week? Has anybody been fighting against your past? Has anybody been fighting against your present? Has anybody been fighting against your future? Has, you're fighting a daily battle. And I'm here to tell you, it's okay to be in a battle. I'd rather be in the battle today than not in the battle. Because there's some of you that Satan has tried to take you out. Physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually. But I have news for you today. You're still here. You may not even feel totally in tune with God right now. But you're sitting in his presence. He knows exactly where you're at. He knows exactly what you have faced. He knows exactly what you've had to deal with. You see, we are called to duty. Foxholes are our homes. We have in this epic battle, you and I play three distinct parts in it, if you will. There is three areas where you and I have a relationship with this battle, with this war. The first one is we are participants in this war. Now, I would love it if I could just say, okay, God, Come now and just wipe it all out and take care of it. But God doesn't operate that way. He did that already. And the Bible says he repented for it. And every time you see a rainbow, it lets you know why he's not going to do it again. There's coming a day when his armies will come back. But until that day, he is asking you and I as soldiers of the cross 
to participate in the battle. <clears throat> Here's the problem with us being participants is that sometimes we don't understand how to participate. You see, God's not calling us to take up arms. God's not calling us to take up uh, the battle positions with the tanks or the planes, and he doesn't want to give us the little red button to press the nuclear button codes, and he's not doing all of that. Here's what he's asking us to do. Pray with all prayer and supplication. Get into the spirit. Find a place between you and him. In other words, our warfare or our participation is not carnal, but it is powerful to the pulling down of strongholds. We are participants. That's why we've come through a fast. That's why we attend church. That's why we faithfully give of our resources. That's why we faithfully give of our time. That's why we faithfully read the word of God. You can't think to fight without having read something in the word of God because you don't have the only offensive weapon in scripture is scripture. You don't have any tools of offense if you haven't absorbed any of this. It's amazing. We're participants. The second way that we are in relationship to this battle is that you and I are the battlefields. Can I just tell you, God doesn't care about the earth. How do I know that? Because he's already stated in this word that the earth, heaven and earth shall pass away. He's concerned about the earth the way he created it and intended it to be, of which he's going to restore with the new earth. This earth is not his, he's not fighting for territories and lands. He's not asking the church to fight for territories or lands. He's asking the church to fight for souls of men and women and children. We are the battlefield. We, the war that's going on. Why are we so frustrated? Why is things so uncomfortable? Why are things happening in us that we can't understand and we fight against that troubles us on every side? Can I tell you the reason? You've got spiritual tanks running over your heart. Amen. You've got B2s going over your mind, dropping bombs into your spirit and into your thinking. You are the battlefield. You go and look at any battlefield and you see what the battle has done to the territory around you. That's why we're feeling what we're feeling. That's why we're experiencing what we're experiencing. We are the battlefield. Amen. So we're getting this from over here. And we're getting that from over here. And it's coming against us as the enemy. And as we begin to fight, we start throwing up our own arsenal. We start throwing out our prayer. But can I tell you what happens when you throw out your prayer? Your ammunition is added to his ammunition. And it still lands in the same spot. We're dealing with that. We are the battlefield. There is something that is happening in the soul of man. Listen, we I believe we are seeing it not only in individuals, but in America, we are seeing it in the heart of this nation. 
This nation right now in the hearts and the minds of people is a battlefield that is way, war is being waged on a daily basis between that which is right and that which is not right. And, and I'm not talking politically. I'm talking spiritually. I'm talking about getting in doubt and depression and despair is battling against joy and hope and peace. Hopelessness is rising up. Addiction is rising up. Suicide is rising up. And it means that the other side of the battlefield got to step up and put a hedge of protection around people's minds and around people's Listen, you matter to God because you're in the battlefield. Number three, and this excites me, the third way that we are a part of this war is that we are the prize. We are the participants, we are the battlefield, and we are the prize. I came to seek and to save that which was lost. Communion with him was broken in the garden, and he has been seeking and searching and pursuing and fighting so that that communion could be restored because we are a prize to him. I don't know if you've ever thought of it this way. Can I just tell you, if we could ever get that perception down right, it would make our battle a little bit easier because God wants us. He wants to have communion with us. He loves us so much because we are his prize. We are his treasure. We are the thing that gets him, uh, that, that, that makes him celebrate. And the Bible says this, one sinner comes to repent, all of heaven rejoices. Listen, we're the prize. So don't think for a second that there's not going to be a battle for you. Listen, if you're here today and you have just felt the pulling and the stretching there are two entities that are fighting over you. The enemy is trying to get you to falter and to fail. And God is trying to get you to succeed and prosper. I'm not talking about prospering here on earth. That's a different story. I'm talking about setting up treasures in heaven. He went to prepare a place for us. Listen, I don't know about you, but the God that spoke all of creation into existence in a matter of days, and when he said, let there be and there was... The Bible says in John chapter 14 that he goes to prepare a place. He's been working on my house for over 2,000 years. He spoke all of this into existence, but he's been making a home for us for thousands of years. I can't imagine what that place is going to be like. But we're the prize. He loves us so much that he'll fight for us. Here's what we need to do is we need to overcome ourselves. Yeah. Overcome our old, what my dad used to call, stinking thinking. Get over that, that, that demoralizing spirit that says we're not worth anything, that we're not any good, that we falter and fail. Listen, I don't care if you fall and fail. Just get back up. Can I just tell you how I know that that works? Because as I watched you walk into the sanctuary today, you were all walking into the sanctuary today. 
But I know that you didn't start out life walking. I know that you waddled and ran into couches and tripped on tables and face planted in the living room and the kitchen and the bedroom as you learned how to walk. But you did not stay down. You kept getting back up until you figured out how to put one foot in front of the other and stand upright. Listen, just because you fall and fail does not make you a failure. The only thing that makes you a failure is when you stay down. It's the reason why the prophet said this, Rejoice not against me, O my enemies. For when, not if, but when I fall, I shall arise. Listen, we're the prize. You might as well get up off the map. You might as well get back into the action. You might as well pick up the prayer again. You might as well pick up the word of God again. Yeah, it's fallen to the side. You've messed up. You've made a mess of it. Hey, don't worry about that. Just get back in love with Jesus. Pick up his word again. Sing a song again. Find him one more time. Because he's pulling on you. In fact, we sing it today. Not only is he pulling on us, but the Psalm 23 says that his mercy and goodness are chasing us. Now, King James uses follow me all the days of my life. But the word in Hebrew talks about being pursued. He is pursuing. Why are you uncomfortable? Because he's trying to get you to go to a different level with him. Why are you frustrated? Because he's trying to get you to bring. Listen, I've used this before, but when Chuck Yeager broke the South Barrier way back when, he tells the story as he's, the plane is revving up and it's going, and, he's, and the closer he got to the breaking of the South Barrier, his plane began to shake. His gauges went all crazy. Things started falling off, and, and, and rivets started popping, and then all of a sudden it was a loud boom, and then it was absolutely peaceful. Can I tell you why you're dealing with the pressure of your cabin, why your rivets are coming out, why your gauges are all going crazy, why everything's happening? You are getting ready to break into something that God has for you. A war that has been fought for ages is getting ready to lead you into a place where God is God and you are you and He is the you are the prize that He will possess and honor and embrace. Don't get this. In fact, one teacher one told me, one, one time told me, be encouraged when you're dealing with junk. Get worried when it's all easy. Because if it's all easy, it's where the enemy wants you. Because here's what God does. Now, we limit God. We limit God. Because the moment that you break through that barrier into the thing that God has for you is the moment that he starts leading you to the next barrier to get through. And so there may be a, a little bit of calm, but then the frustration will begin to come again. And the pressure will come again. Why? Because God is a progressive God. What I mean by that is the Bible says, here a little, there a little. 
line upon line, precept upon precept. It means that he takes us from glory to glory each step of the way. Listen, if he just gave you heaven like this, you would freak out. And so he gives us little nugget by little nugget to prepare us for what he has for us. So when you get through, so if it's all easy and there's nothing troubling you and there's nothing, one of two things has happened. You're dead and in heaven or you're listening to the wrong voice because grace is the thing that pushes you and prods you and propels you into greater things in him. I know sometimes it feels like you're all by yourself. Like you're like Elisha's servant. But just open the eyes of your spirit and see all of those that can pass us round about. There's more with us than there are with him. Now, I'll be done in just a few minutes, but I want to give you two ways or four ways to determine the outcome of a battle. That you can figure out how a battle is won. The first one, you can't really tell because it's an individual thing, and that is individual combatants or, or fortitude or decision-making or guts. As an individual, what is your gut level with God? I, I read a story about Ulysses S. Grant as he looked out across a battlefield and he realizes that a small company of men, Union soldiers, were beginning to scale Lookout Mountain. And Ulysses got into somewhat of a panic and he turned to his aide and he said, they're never going to take him. But because of the guts of those men that began to ascend that hill, they did take him and victory was won. And Ulysses was able to move the army because the high ground was taken. Listen, there are story after story after story of individuals throughout the course of time that one or 10 or 100 men who, were, who overcame immense odds to accomplish and gain victory. I want to be numbered with them. I don't want to cower in a corner when the pressure gets hot. I want to stand up strong, even if it costs me everything. I want to stand up strong. Can I just tell you, this church didn't happen by accident. There were some people in 1996 that got together and through fortitude of spirit and mind, willed this church into being. And today, we're reaping the benefits of it. But it would do us well to remember the price that they paid to start it in homes in rented facilities and in, in finding the, the, the way to get chairs and, and putting sound systems together and, and doing all of the different things at the same time as growing a physical church building. They were trying to reach people. It does us well to understand that I can't rest 
that I can't sit back, that I've got to stand on the shoulders of those that have gone before me, that I've got to fight like never before, now if for nothing else than to let the story of Gary and Little Wives Broad and the others that were with them and the founding pastors of this church, I've got to stand on their shoulders and continue to push and continue to prod and continue to challenge you and continue to go forward. We can't go back because there's got to be something that rises up in us that just almost gets a holy wrath and anger and says, I will not give up. Amen. When I played hockey, I was never the biggest guy on the ice. I didn't really actually grow height-wise until I was about 14 or 15 years old. And uh, and I remember one time, um, I had two friends of mine, they, I played the center, they played my wings, and the older guys, the bigger guys, the next level up was having a game or a scrimmage, and they were short people, so they asked us to stay after practice and join them and play with them. And so now I was probably 11 playing with 14-year-olds, and uh, so were my two friends, and they just left our line together. They didn't even mix us with the bigger guys. And so we're in the locker room just before the game, and the coach walks in, and he has this smile on our face. And we're playing, I think it was Wiper Lake, I can't remember. But he, uh, he, he has a smile on his face, and, and he looks out at all, all these guys. This is, this was, again, I was, they were one level higher. And he got, gets this mischievous grin. He goes, I think we're going to start the kids today. I was like, we had just got done playing a game and practice and whatever we were doing, and now we're playing. And he said, yeah, what have you started against their first line? And so I looked at, his name was Terry Blankhorn and Steve Meisner. I looked at the two of them. I said, okay, guys. And, and can I tell you what happened the first lot, the first, when the puck dropped? We got run over. I mean, literally put into the boards. We get to the bench, and the coach is just smiling. Good job, guys. The three of us looked at each other, good job. We just got run over. So the next time out on the ice, I, I can remember it as clear as day. Because <clears throat> Steve and I played together for years. Terry played with us on it. And Terry went into the corner, and one of their big defensemen, remember, they're three, four years older than us, gave him a cheap shot and put him into the boards. And can I tell you what that did to us? Steve and I got so mad that the next time up the ice, because we were too small, we had to double team. Well, we double teamed that guy that took him out. And we drove him into the boards as hard as we possibly could drive him into the boards. But you wanna know what? The rest of that game, they didn't bother the kids. And I just, something's got to get in us. Because the cheap shot artist is the enemy. And he'll cheap shot family members and friends and loved ones. And something's got to get into us that just says, I'm going to hit you like I've never hit you before. And you're done messing with me and my family. You're done messing with me and my friends. That individual combatant, I'm going to take the hill no matter what it takes in me. The second way you can gauge who's going to win is the strength of the armies. I'm sorry. The power of Satan is nothing against the power of God. I'll say that again. The power of Satan is nothing against the power of God. 
In fact, I've shared this with you. I think it was online a couple weeks ago. The, the little Sunday school girl that was in Sunday school. And the teacher asked, what do you do when temptation comes your way? And, and there was all kinds of answers. You know, I pray, I run to my mom, I do whatever. And this little girl raises her hand. And this little girl says, I'll tell you what I do when temptation comes my way. I realize that Jesus lives with me. And I ask Jesus to answer the door. We got to let Jesus answer the door. He's more powerful. He's more powerful. Listen, we've got to stop trying to fight it on our own. Try to manipulate our situation to make it better. Listen, we need to unleash Christ into our lives. Listen, there was a story in Mark chapter 5 about the man of Gadara, who the Bible says had at least a legion of angels uh, or demons. A legion in that day could mean anywhere from 2,000 to 6,000. So 2,000 to 6,000 demons were possessing this one gentleman from the man of Gadara. And can I tell you what happened when this man from Gadara saw Jesus in the distance? Those 6,000 demons could not control the man who came running down the hill and fell at the feet of Jesus. I don't care what satanic force is behind it. You have the power in God to overcome the power of your enemy. You can fight against it. You can run to Jesus against it. And when those 6,000 demons came up against one Jesus, it was an onslaught. They had no chance. I believe this. I believe it's time for somebody, Spirit of Grace Church, that we open up our mouths and we began to declare over our cities and our communities, no more Satan. I am releasing the power of Almighty God into the streets of our towns, our neighborhoods, our workplaces. You have no business any longer dealing with our families and our children. I come against heartache. I come against headache. I come against addiction. I come against depression. You have no more business dealing. I am standing on the word of the Lord and declaring thus says the word of the Lord. The Bible says, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. You don't have to fear. He is stronger than your enemy. He is more powerful than the forces against you. Just stand together with him and fight on his behalf. The third way to tell is the ability or the leadership of those in charge. Not only is Jesus stronger, he's smarter. I just mentioned the man from Gadara and, and his two to six thousand demons. They had one request when they came to Jesus. Notice that Jesus does not talk to the man. He talks to the spirits. Because he understood that he wasn't wrestling against flesh and blood, but he was wrestling against that which was in this gentleman. And he and the these spirits thought they were going to be wise. And they said this, Jesus, just don't throw us into the deep. There's some pigs over there. Let me go to the pigs. And Jesus said, okay, go. I know that these 
Spirits were thinking, well, we'll just go dwell in the pigs until some other human walks by. But when those spirits entered the pigs, the pigs went crazy. Yeah. One preacher said it this way. Pigs won't even put up with what some humans put up with. <laughs> Just mark that down for free. <laughs> Those pigs went crazy. And you know what the Bible says they did? It says that they ran off the cliff into the deep. Jesus outsmarted them in a moment of time. He understood what those pigs were going to do. And so he outsmarted. Can I tell you what else? Jesus outsmarted his adversary at Calvary. Can I tell you, every nail that went into his hand and into his feet, every lash that went around his back, every thorn that went into his brow, every plucking of the beard, was Satan in the background having a party. I'm defeating him. I'm beating him. I'm taking control. He's going to lose. His people are going to lose. And the whole time that was happening, Jesus is looking at him and saying, every stripe upon my back is going to release healing into my people. The blood that flows from my nail-scarred hands and my nail-scarred feet is going to cover all of my people's sins. I am going to have redemption because I'm smarter than he is. Everything throughout history that the devil has tried to do has backfired. Can I just say that again? Everything that the enemy has ever done throughout history has backfired on him. Let me say it again because it's got to get into somebody's spirit right now. God, God stop me right here. Everything the devil has done throughout history has backfired. The spirit of your addiction will backfire. The spirit of your depression will backfire on him. The spirit of despair is going to backfire on him. If you will allow Jesus to step into your life, that which you were addicted to is going to become the most powerful testimony in changing the world around you. That which you were depressed about is going to become the rejoicing of your morning. That which caused you despair is going to be that which gives you happiness. Everything he's ever done has always backfired. Which lets me know if you're here today, you're on the right side of things. I, I don't want to say this callously, and you have to understand, I don't care where you come from. I don't care what you've had to deal with. Now, I care about the repercussions. But I don't, what I'm saying here is, I don't, it doesn't matter where you come from because it's a backfire. That's right. If you will allow it, Jesus will allow that which has happened to you, that which you have done, that which has been against the word of God, that which has been against the spirit of God. If you will allow God, he'll take all of that and he will light a flame of fire called the Holy Ghost to it. It will light the fuse that will explode in you and everybody around you will begin to see the miraculous, powerful hand of God. Because he's smarter. 
So that leaves us to the last thing and really the impetus of this message. Because the fourth thing that you can identify who's possibly to win the battle is topography. Topography. Where is it? You see, in the grand scheme of things, topography is an insignificant factor. It's an insignificant factor. In this passage that we read, topography was the woods of Ephraim. You see, our minds have ways of making the little things into big things. I want you to notice that it wasn't the individuals of this battle in 2 Samuel 18 that won the battle. It wasn't even the strength of the two armies that won the battle. And it wasn't the brilliance of David versus the brilliance of Absalom and their leaders that won the battle. The Bible says it this way. The woods devoured more people that day than the sword. The insignificant aspect of the battle claimed more lives that day than the sword and the spear and the battles and the strategies and all of the things that go into a battle. It was the little thing that became the big thing that consumed the most people that day. Can I just tell you that it's going to be the little things that cause you and I the biggest headache? Can, can I just, let me put it to you in, in terms that maybe you can understand. I have been blessed, and I don't say this boastfully, but if I walked into a place where alcohol and drugs were there and, and the adversary tried to tempt me with those drugs and those alcohol, I would not be tempted whatsoever because it's never been something that has been placed in me that it's never been a yearning. It's never been, some of you wouldn't be able to do that. Some of you have, but if you walked, but if you walked into, if I, if, the, if I was led into a place where maybe it was sports or athletics or other things that I do fall into, that I make it connected to, but the big things don't matter. Can I tell you, you can, you can tempt me with drugs and alcohol all day long. It's not going to do anything for me. But you tempt me with statistics, sports, little things, seemingly insignificant things. I mean, who cares about sports, especially Minnesota sports? <laughs> what a weekend. Wild lost, twins lost twice, to Kansas City, no less, for all of my Kansas City friends. He doesn't mess with you on the big things because he knows you don't even need God to overcome the big things. Because in your mind, you've already addressed that big thing in your spirit. But it's the little things that get us every time. It wasn't the thousands of people on each side of the battle line. It wasn't the brilliance of the leaders. It was the woods, trees, immovable objects devoured more that day. 
You see, Simon Peter was walking on water and he took his eyes off Jesus. And you may think, well, hey, walking on water and waves and wind, that may be a pretty big thing. Not in relation to Jesus. I heard a story of one couple that came into a pastor's office and said, I want a divorce. Okay, let's sit down and talk. Why do you want a divorce? Because my wife didn't bring root beer home from the grocery store. That was his excuse. Now, I know there must have been some much deeper problems. But when asked, why do you want a divorce? His response was, she didn't bring me root beer. That was the straw that broke the camel's back. A little thing like not bringing root beer home. You see, it's the little things added up that cause us all of our problems. You see, I believe this. There are people that leave the kingdom of God or church, if you will, or the presence of God for little things. I, I wish I could tell you, I've been in the ministry now since 1988, October of 1988. And since then, you want to know how many people I have had that have complained because the sound man was deaf? The mix just wasn't right. The drums were too loud or the drums were too quiet. Or all I heard was alto or all I heard was tenor or all I, or the lighting wasn't right. You know, how many times, it, it, it's, it's funny here, it, it hasn't happened as badly, but where the temperature is a big deal. I, I've given up on the temperature because I'm hot all the time. I'll sweat up here whether it's 50 degrees in here or not. But you want to know why I say that? Because in our church, here's what I, you, you don't all see this because I'm up here and I'm, I'm looking at you. In the same exact service, with no temperature differentiation, at times I have looked at one side of the sanctuary and this is what I see. And on this side of the sanctuary, I see them running to grab one of the little blankets. And yet people come to church based off of little things. Or should I say they leave church because of little things. No matter that the presence of God was there, it just was a little too cold or it was a little too warm. Or the sound was just a little bit off. Or the video just didn't work right. Or the words were misspelled on the screen. Or the greeter didn't greet me. Or the pastor didn't look at me. Or, or, or they just don't like me. Listen, I believe this. There are more people that would stay in this church if I started preaching false doctrine. <laughs> then some of the little things that trip us up. That person that sat down and wrote for me. You know, they're, they're acting all holy, but I saw them this week. They weren't very holy on Wednesday. <laughs> Little things tripping us up. Can I just tell you in this day and age, in this era, in what we're dealing with right now, I believe that if the Lord tarries and we come through this, we're going to look back and there are going to be people that have given up on God, not because God gave up on them, not because the church is any weaker, but because they've gotten lost in the woods. They've gotten lost in the little things, in the things that don't make as much difference as another. 
that it's a take it or leave it. Listen, I'm not talking about not going against this. Once we ever have to go against this, I will always stand with this. But there are things in our lives that we have to deal with on an everyday basis that's just not worth the fight. It's just not worth the battle. Let God deal with it. God wants us to break through into areas in the kingdom of God that are as unprecedented as the natural times that we live in. But we've got to get out of the woods. Listen, I have nobody in particular in mind, but I, 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 what does Randy call it? I go on Facebook to snoop. That's what I think he says. To spy. He doesn't really post. I, I post every once in a while. Usually 90% of the time if there's a post from Tim and Tricia Sanders, it's from her because she co-opted my page when I first opened it up. I don't usually post, but I read. And I watch. And I have watched more faith people getting tied up in little things and spending all their energy on little things that don't matter as much as the big things. Can I tell you what the big thing is? By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. That's a big thing. I am not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. That's a big thing. In everything, I will give thanks because it's the will of God in Christ. That's a big thing. Don't get bogged down with the little things. Don't get bogged down with your neighbor talking bad about you. Don't get bogged down about the little things that can cause problems and headaches. Listen, let that go under the blood of the Lamb and stand in the, in the middle of the battlefield and say, I'm not getting caught up in the woods. I'm getting into the middle of a fight where the armies of God are standing with me. I will not be devoured in the woods. It happens all the time. There was a man by the name of John Kresh. He was on the Lithuania when it was torpedoed and sunk, and he survived. Yet he passed from this earth into the next by drowning when he fell into 11 inches of water. Or a man by the name of Captain Halsey was a great hunter, hunter great game. And yet he passed away because a barnyard cat scratched him and became poisoned and took his life. It's the little things. This gentleman was crazy. Bobby was his name. He went down Niagara in a barrel. Now, call him stupid, I don't know, but went down Niagara in a barrel. Then went even further and went through the rapids in a barrel. And yet, he died when he slipped on a banana peel, broke his leg, and came green sand. See, it's not the big things that's going to destroy you. It's the little things. It's the woods that get into you. I invite you to stand. I am preaching this message for two reasons. One, because I want to declare to you that you are more than conquerors in Christ. Amen. 
And number two, to warn you that especially in this season, in this hour, in this day, beware of the woods. Amen. Beware of the little things. Beware of the anger that tries to seep in. The root of bitterness that tries to pop up. The, the things that, the listen, Jesus had a devil in his group. Judas Iscariot betrayed him, went against him. It's never going to be perfect. Even Jesus didn't have a perfect group of guys. But don't let the small things hinder you. I close with this story. It was a young lady who came running out of a burning house. The flames had overtaken the ground floor. Flames were shooting out of the windows. The house was going to be a total destruction. And she comes running out in a frantic panic. She started telling her neighbors, it started so quickly. The flames just, it was just a small flame and it got out of control so fast and all of a sudden the drapes were on fire and the furniture was on fire and I couldn't hardly, I tried to grab everything that I could think of grabbing. I grabbed my, uh, our photo albums. I, I grabbed the thing, I grabbed uh, uh, an old tennis racket because it reminded me of playing with my husband back in the day and I grabbed this and I grabbed uh, all these things. I, I grabbed his I had my arms swollen with the stuff that, that I, I just thought I needed to keep. And she dropped it on the ground. And her neighbor began to panic because she looked at this lady and she said this, but where is your baby? She got so tied up in the little things that she missed the big thing. I don't mean to depress you with that story, but can I just tell you what the book of Jude tells us? To save some out of the fire. Listen, are the little things worth losing the big things? I know intellectually it doesn't make sense. We say, well, absolutely not. But yet how often do we let the little things It's the little things. Listen, I've had my knees torn up and I've got no break. But I've had a sliver right here since about Tuesday that's absolutely driving me absolutely crazy. <laughs> Come on, devil. Fight with me face to face. But he won't because he knows I'll win. So he sends thorns. Didn't Paul say he had a thorn in the flesh? Little things. The woods. Don't let the woods devour you today. Get to the middle of the battlefield and let the heat of the artillery of God surround you. Here's what I want us to do as they begin to sing. All across this congregation, would you just raise your hands? in the presence of the Lord.
And if you feel so led, would you just declare that this is the day that I'll stay away from the woods and I'll step into the battle with you. Jesus, all across this congregation right now,